Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. So I hope that you might have listened to Thursday's episode with Dr. Jeanette Wasserstein. This is the bonus episode of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing podcast. I've never done this before, but I felt that the conversation needed continuing. And I know that this episode with Dr. Emma Ping will be so helpful. So if you are listening to this, perhaps without listening to the episode on Thursday, maybe listen back to that as well, just so you've got the compounded information off both experts, because I feel so honoured that we were able to to get their expertise and for me to be able to ask many questions, which I think a lot of you would probably want to ask as well if you were in front of them. So use this information as an advocate for yourself when you are speaking to your doctor, your psychiatrist, your psychologist. Make sure that you write down the terminologies, look it up, do your own research and really know what would work for you. We're given lots of different options from both Dr. Wasserstein and Dr. Ping here. So use this and my biggest hope is that this is empowering you to to get the help and the support that is deserved. So here is my conversation with Dr. Emma Ping. So hello and welcome back to actually a bonus episode of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I don't normally come out on a Saturday. So with me today, I'm delighted to announce is Dr. Emma Ping, and she is a menopause specialist who works with a big group of menopause doctors at menopausecare.co.uk. And Dr. Emma Ping is passionate about offering women holistic, patient-centered, bespoke advice and support, enabling them to be empowered and maximize their well-being and long-term health at any age. And Dr. Pink is not got ADHD herself, but has many family members that do. And she has a real insight into menopause and ADHD, which is very specialized, which is why I'm so excited to bring her onto the podcast because there are so many amazing menopause specialists out there, but to have the combined expertise of understanding ADHD alongside menopause is quite few and far between. So Dr. Ping, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks, Kate. It's lovely to be talking to you today. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned in that intro that we had Dr. Wasserstein on a few days ago and she really gave us a very sort of medicalized background about how hormones interplay with ADHD and the impact they have throughout our lives, you know, starting from young women, young girls to menopause. 
But I think what I would love to know a bit more about, and probably my audience would as well, is how they can get the support of, they've acknowledged that they've got ADHD and they now have recognised perimenopausal symptoms. They can see that the menopause is not far away and they're stuck. And I know that I, I understand and identify this because, like I said, there are lots of fantastic menopause experts out there now. But to have that combined insight interest of ADHD impacting menopause, it is hard to find. So why is this? Why are we only just recognising and, and learning the interplay between menopause and ADHD? I think because the perimenopause, which can be the most turbulent time of a woman's life in terms of hormonal changes, in itself has only more recently been recognised as a phenomenon. So, and then that combined with the more recent growing awareness about ADHD and diagnosis in later life for women. So it's two different fields colliding at a similar time of a woman's life, causing chaos and really difficult symptoms, but they're fairly new to the game, really, you know, in terms of acknowledging that they're out there as a real problem. And they are a huge problem in terms of the effect it has on women's life in midlife. So I think there's a joint thing that with more acknowledgement of ADHD as a diagnosis that exists and the different subtypes of the ADHD, you know, there's not just one hyperactive, there's also the inattentive type. Often it's women who have not had that recognised in their youth. Perhaps their daughters are getting diagnosed earlier. We know there's a hereditary connection. And as mothers or, you know, women in the, in the lives of these younger girls who are getting diagnosed, we are reflecting and thinking, hang on, these symptoms are, are similar to what I've always had, these struggles, these difficulties. Hang on, I've always had these in my life. I've never felt quite brackets normal. I've always felt there's something I've found challenging that other people haven't found challenging. And that led to women getting their diagnosis later in life. And more women are getting these diagnoses later in life. Yeah. And it's just been hidden. Women have coped. Women have masked. They've learned. They're intelligent. But it's been difficult. And then yeah. perimenopause hits. And it's a huge double whammy, huge double whammy in terms of the effects on their quality of life, well-being. It's a major issue. And I'm hoping that awareness is growing in both fields, ADHD, perimenopause and menopause, and like you say, the connection between the two. Yeah, I think what you identified then was really key of that menopause awareness and ADHD awareness in women has sort of grown and taken off around the same time. Yeah. And they're sort of the hot topics, if you want to call them the trendy, you're seeing them in all the, the media, um, lots of celebrities are sort of speaking about it. Which is um, great. Which is fantastic. Yeah. But the menopause, perimenopause has always been there and ADHD has always been there. So it's not like there's sort of new medical phenomenons. They, they're just, they've been hidden. Like you say, they've been masked. Women have just thought they've had to cope. I think we've just really just thought this is life. Life should be quite difficult and mm. um, turbulent. And this is just how life is going to be. But I think what we're recognising now is that we don't have to suffer in silence we have got options, especially with the menopause. I mean, what I've learned recently about 
perimenopause and, and what we can do to help ourselves as opposed to sort of sitting and waiting for this big sledgehammer of a menopause to hit is so freeing and empowering and I want to sort of be able to offer that with ADHD as well that, that we have got mm. alternatives but from reading a lot of the symptoms of how perimenopause sort of starts to show up it's so similar to ADHD and I'm talking about anxiety, sleep problems, concentration issues low energy levels, irritability, low mood. I mean, the list is so, it's so similar, isn't it? And which there is, is a real overlap. Yeah, There is. And, and yeah. very often women perhaps are thinking that they've got ADHD and actually it's the perimenopause, menopause and vice versa. How are we able to identify the difference between the two? So women are getting the right diagnoses and then the right treatment, you know, from that. It's always going to be a challenge. I think some of it is timing. When are these symptoms coming to a head? Is it in the is it in the time where perimenopause is occurring? So that's typically early 40s to 50. So the menopause is when your periods have stopped for a year. It's a retrospective diagnosis. So you're in the menopause once you've not had your period for a year. But the lead up to that point is the perimenopause, and that can last a decade. And that's typically starting in your early 40s. So if you're getting the brain fog, the moon swings, the anxiety, the, the difficult concentration, multitasking issues, suddenly losing confidence with things like driving, all these things, and you're in that, that bracket of your life, which could be the perimenopause, it's worth being alert to it. But then, of course, you could also have had undiagnosed ADHD, which you've coped with over the years, but it's suddenly become exacerbated because of the perimenopause coming into play. So they both need looking at really separately and together. So you need to have the treatment and care for the ADHD and alongside that, the perimenopause, menopause care. Because the other thing about some of the ADHD medications, if you get a diagnosis in midlife and you start some medication, some of the side effects are also an overlap with perimenopause symptoms. So some of them cause anxiety, some of them can cause mood problems, some of them can cause sleep problems. So again, unpicking it is difficult. At the end of the day, if it's possibly perimenopause and you've had some changes in your periods going on alongside, so in the perimenopause, you are by definition still having a menstrual cycle, but it might have changed subtly. Maybe it's a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Some women get heavier bleeding, but you're still having some sort of cycle. And if that coincides with these symptoms becoming more prominent, then there's definitely some hormonal aspect to your symptoms. And I think, Kate, at the end of the day, because the modern body identical HRT is so safe, it's a natural um, way of just topping up your hormones. It's low; They're low dose. You could just almost have a trial of it and see if it helps you. You're not going to have do any harm by having a trial yeah. and just see what happens with that. The new hormones, if you look at the molecular structure of them, they're like for like for your own ovaries, what your own ovaries make. So when you replace the hormones with this body identical type, your body kind of recognises them as if they're from your own ovaries again. And all you're trying to do is top your hormones back up to a physiological re- level which is right for you, which worked for you before the perimenopause kicked in. Now, if that is 
the greatest underlying issue causing your symptoms, it will be resolved with some HRT. And so to trial it is not going to do any harm. I mean, if you trial the HRT and you get partial response, then you might have to think, I'm having an adequate amount of estrogen replacement. I've had my levels checked, but I'm still not quite there. Well, it could be testosterone replacement that you need because that's the third female hormone which starts to drop in midlife and can give us cognitive problems, exactly the same ones as you said before, in terms of concentration, focus, brain fog, multitasking problems can be a testosterone deficiency problem. Or you might need a tweak, because it's not uncommon to to need a tweak or a change of your ADHD medication in relation to hormonal changes as well. Hi everyone. So I know I'm not the only woman with ADHD who really does need their sleep but often struggles to either fall asleep or just stay asleep. And much to my husband's frustration, very often, I have all sorts of rituals to help me get to sleep better, which include a bedside table full of different sleep sprays, earplugs, magnesium tablets, and essential oils. However, the most important element for me to getting a good night's sleep has always been my bedding, especially my pillows. And yet there's something new that I've been trying, which has been a real game changer in helping calm my anxious mind and really settle my body in for a good night's sleep. And this is the Silent Night Wellbeing Weighted Blanket. And wow, I am definitely a convert now. So the Silent Night Wellbeing Weighted Blanket has been designed to calm and ease stress and anxiety, and it's got a deep touch pressure stimulation. And this is something occupational therapists have been using for ADHD for years and have reported really positive results. So the weighted blanket can help to relax the nervous system by giving this gentle sensation of being hugged and easing you into a deep and restful sleep. And just wrapping yourself in the blanket increases happy hormones and decreases stress to improve our mood, which so many of us need. So the blanket's weight comes from thousands of natural glass beads stitched within and it creates an even spread of gentle, soothing pressure. And the weighted blankets are available in three different weights, starting from three kilograms, which is for children, then 6.8 kilograms and then nine kilograms. And this whole well-being collection of weighted blankets, amazing pillows is available at sleepypeople.com. So as I mentioned, there's lots of other well-being bedding options on sleepypeople.com. And this includes a silent night well-being cool touch pillow, which is just so cooling, especially if you're going through perimenopause or menopause. They've got a well-being lavender scented pillow, which is just gorgeous because lavender can help you fall asleep. They've got a well-being copper pillow, a silent night well-being rebalance pillow and duvet set, and a silent night well-being weighted eye mask, which I've tried and absolutely love. And they really understand how busy life can be. So they've made it as easy as possible with this fantastic range of different pillows and duvets and weighted blankets. So we can really just optimize our sleep. So I want you to head to sleepypeople.com and you can get 10% off the whole Silent Night Wellbeing collection. That's sleepypeople.com. And you need to type in CALM10, that's C-A-L-M-10, for 10% off the full Silent Night Wellbeing collection. I will put all the details in the show notes, but that's sleepypeople.com 
and use the code CALM10 for 10% off the full Silent Night Wellbeing Collection. And now back to this week's conversation. What I wanted to ask was when you were telling me that if you've lived with ADHD all your life, but it's not been hugely debilitating, it's not been sort of detrimental to your career, it's just been, I would say, um, an annoyance because we know that it's a spectrum and we know that some people, and you know, I, I definitely you know, see some women who it's really blighted their life from a very early age. And there's other women who have just seen it there. It's just sort of been perpetually there in the in the background. And they've been able to sort of find ways. They've sort of hacked their life, their lifestyle, and they've been quite aware of it. However, when perimenopause starts to kick in, they have noticed that their ADHD has got worse and it's gone harder. Then maybe their anxiety has got worse, their sleep. You know, for me, I know that sleep has a huge impact. If I don't get the right sleep, my ADHD feels so much harder. If I'm sleeping well and I'm looking after my lifestyle, it feels completely manageable because I think I've just learned how I need to manage it through my lifestyle. But then the perimenopause kicks in and we are noticing everything just getting more difficult. Do you think that using HRT or sort of bringing in, you know, testosterone can help level out the ADHD again without having to go down the ADHD medication? I think potentially, yes, definitely. And I think, again, you could trial it and see what happens. Give a trial of it and see your response. It is going to be so individual. And like you said before, it's holistic. It's lifestyle as well. So it's it's managing it from all the different angles. But yes, I think definitely you might find that just replacing and topping your hormones back up, you might find that you'll be stable again on your normal medication regime. So do you see a future in there being a crossover of disciplines? So I'll give you a sort of an example. We've got women who are being diagnosed in their sort of mid to late 40s with ADHD. They are going through, they've waited a really long time for the assessment, the diagnosis, and then the sort of, you know, the titration of the medication if they want to go down that route. It feels like they've been really waiting for a long time. Then they start noticing menopause symptoms, you know, the perimenopause kicking in. And it feels like they have to start again by explaining themselves and having to Mm. speak to another doctor who might not understand ADHD and the ADHD doctor doesn't understand menopause. Do you think there's a future in combining, because they're so, for women especially, hormones is kind of like the middle ground, isn't it? It's like the, the common denominator between the two. Where do you see the future in that? I think gold standard care would definitely evolve a multidisciplinary approach. I don't know if there's ever going to be somebody who can cover both in a way because one's more, you know, psychiatry and one's more. And I think ideally what you do is you'd have the two different people involved, but have a crossover of care and a good communication, a bit like if you had a cardiologist and a respiratory consultant, you know, you'd you'd keep to your expertise, but cross over. So there'd be communications between your menopause specialist and whoever's dealing with your ADHD medication. I mean, there might be somebody who wants to do a specific qualification in combining both specialties, but in a way, I don't think that would be necessary. Whatever you do as a doctor, you want to be able to do it incredibly well. And ADHD, is, it's a big subject and it's, it's such an individual, complex issue. I think 
it's, it's better to keep that where it is almost, but you have the crossover of care mm. and have the communication between the care. Because actually having more than one person involved in an individual's care, that's actually no bad thing in having different opinions and debating those things. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There can be big advantages of that. Yeah. And then for what I know, a lot of the holistic advice that is given for women going through menopause, like you say, the HRT is fantastic. It's replacing those hormones that we, we used to have. But I think we then we've dealt with low self-esteem and maybe, like you say, something like fear of driving and not wanting to socialise as often and so many different impacts, you know, in our career. If we've noticed how the menopause has an impact in our career, then we are dealing with lots of the sort of psychological side. So the holistic therapies that I've seen for menopause, there is a crossover with ADHD, such as mindfulness, meditation, yoga, nutrition, sleep. So it just feels like there is a lot between them. And as women, I think the more awareness that we have, especially as the diagnosis of women in, in their 40s is growing, that we recognize the impact of looking after our lifestyle and this is what this podcast is about because I wanted to talk about the well-being side of of ADHD because there's so many other podcasts out there and information out there about executive functioning and organizing and careers loads of different aspects of, of kind of managing our life with ADHD but for me none of that's possible unless we are looking after ourselves from a holistic lifestyle perspective and would you say that's the same with menopause, that it doesn't matter if you go to the doctor tomorrow and they prescribe you your HRT, but you're not looking after all the other aspects, you're not still not going to get those, reap the awards of the HRT without looking at the full spectrum? Would you say that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent agree with that. You can go to the doctor and get your HRT, but if you sit on the sofa all day, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes and, and eating pizza all day, you're not going to feel much better from your symptoms. You're gonna maximize and optimize your lifestyle and your um, well-being by looking at all aspects of holistic care. So that's diet, self-care and relaxation, movement and sleep. They are the really big four to be part of your HRT and general menopause care and management. So any women I see, I always approach every aspect of holistic care as well as as well as HRT if they want to talk about that not everybody wants HRT but and actually you know some women will find they can manage their symptoms without it there's some women there's some women who've had estrogen positive breast cancers and they won't want to go anywhere near HRT and therefore they need a, a different type of toolkit which is all those holistic lifestyle things that you've just mentioned Mm. And when we were, we had a chat before off, off camera yesterday, and I was talking to you about progesterone, because I feel that I am quite sensitive from a progesterone perspective. And that's due to trying lots of different pills and the coil, and it's just never agreed with me. And I, I asked you if you think that being ADHD, you're more sensitive to bringing things like that into your body because of the way our chemicals and the how important dopamine is and serotonin is in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Have you come across that at all? It was me theorizing really, but I just wondered if you'd come across being sensitive to things like that when you've got ADHD. I've not come across that specifically, but then you see a lot of women I see who I think 
and might have ADHD haven't definitely got a diagnosis necessarily. And there isn't any paper or data associating the two. But like you said, because of the crossover with all the different other neurotransmitters and estrogen, it would make a lot of sense. And progesterone, obviously. 10% of the population do have progesterone sensitivity, which is women who have a tendency to have PMS or PMDD symptoms. They also have a tendency to have depression after pregnancy. So that's showing a sensitivity to your own progesterone. Yeah. So when you're giving a woman who's got progesterone sensitivity a progesterone in terms of a pill or HRT, there's a risk that that's going to cause those symptoms again. Usually the most well-tolerated type of progesterone, because there's different types, you see, Kate, there's synthetic and there's a natural progesterone called utogestan, which is the one I mentioned before, which has the molecular structure, which is the same as our own ovarian hormones. So that would be the best one to go with in terms of HRT if you have progesterone sensitivity. Now, even that one, some people with progesterone sensitivity will get the symptoms, in which case there's different ways we can deliver that, different ways of taking that progesterone. There's also something called the Mirena coil, which is a coil which put, you put into the womb. It's got a synthetic progesterone embedded in it which slowly releases over a period of five years. And although it's synthetic, it's working very local to the womb and therefore is a, has a reduced risk of progesterone sensitivity. Mm. Some women with HRT who are sensitive to progesterone end up needing a reduced progesterone regime. Because with HRT, what I should say is, if you, you only need progesterone if you've got a womb generally because as part of an HRT regime the estrogen is for the symptoms that addresses your symptoms and the progesterone is to keep the lining of the womb thin while you're having additional estrogen because what we know from studies is if a woman has a womb and you just give them estrogen alone without the progesterone the lining of the womb can grow and get thickened over a period of years if you left that and did nothing about it, you can get bleeding problems and some of those cells might become cancerous. You can get womb cancer. So we know to avoid that, if you're giving a woman estrogen, you have to give them progesterone alongside if they've got a womb. And there's some other special circumstances that need progesterone alongside, even if you haven't got a womb, but that's very specific circumstances. Okay, so that's, that's, that's really that's, interesting. Yeah, that's what it's for. So some women can have a reduced dose of progesterone as part of HRT. So that would be uh, off license and it might be considered a bit more high risk in terms of the lining of the womb getting thickened. But in those circumstances, we can just monitor the lining of the womb to ensure it's not becoming thickened. So, you know, in, in those more severe cases of progesterone sensitivity, that might be something which is an option. Obviously, that's very specialised. You wouldn't expect to be having that sort of regime via your general, general practitioner. But there's nearly always ways around it. There's a very tiny percentage of women which won't be able to tolerate any at all. So there's lots of options if you have a history of progesterone sensitivity or if you've had a reaction to the combined pill in the past. The combined contraceptive pill contains higher dose 
estrogen and progesterone and synthetic types generally. There's a couple that have got natural estrogens, but most are synthetic estrogens. So they're very different to the body identical HRT, a completely different board game in terms of the nature of them and the dosage and how that a woman might react to it. So what you're telling me here is this is such a specialised area and what you're offering is so tailor-made that, you know, God bless the NHS, they just don't have the time or the resources for someone who has got lots of these questions that I've got and I'm sure lots yeah. of other women do. And it's, you know, expertise is needed to understand ADHD and to understand um, menopause. And here in the UK, you know, what do we get? I think seven minutes with, with our GP. And it's just not enough time to kind of test out all these different options. And, you know, I mentioned before from reading a lot of the women's testimonials and conversations on, on different groups that PMDD and PMS is quite a big thing with ADHD women because of the hormonal disruption throughout the cycle. So for us, you know, monitoring our cycle is really, really important because that's what we understand when our concentration really dipped, when we really struggle with our ADHD. And I've talked about it on the podcast before that, you know, even if we don't do anything and we just monitor our cycle and we book in things around sort of the first two weeks of the month when our estrogen is high, our dopamine is high, we're really, you know, we're thriving under the circumstances. And then when things start, I think it's post-ovulation, things start really dipping, that's where we kind of take the, our foot off the accelerator a little bit and give ourselves a bit more compassion and a bit of more self-care and trying to book in things that are going to give us anxiety and overwhelm us. Because I, yes. I can feel that. It's so... But really, that awareness for me was huge because I couldn't understand for years why I was operating at such different speeds throughout the month. So when I started understanding how hormones have an impact, that's when I just know, I just know that, you know, if I don't have to do things that are very challenging the last two weeks of the month, I won't. Obviously, life is busy and with kids and half terms and holidays and things that we just don't, you know, we, we have no control over. We have to get on with it. But I think just to have that level of compassion. Absolutely. Awareness. Exactly. Awareness is huge, isn't it? And those swings, those natural hormonal swings that occur with a normal menstrual cycle throughout a woman's fertile years are hugely exacerbated in the perimenopause. So those swings of lower estrogen levels go down lower. And that relative to the progesterone levels, gets the gap gets bigger. And so the perimenopause, when hormones are swinging up and down, and it's like a great, a huge exaggeration of your natural menstrual cycle, which you already are explaining, ADHD women get a variation of symptoms. It's just gigantically exacerbated, which is why it can feel like such a horrible roller coaster in the perimenopause for people with ADHD. And it's really difficult because when actually your brain isn't working well to try and join up the dots and understand what's actually happening, it's incredibly challenging. And also because we are women in midlife often juggling children, older parents, a career, a household, everything. On one day or one month or one week to the next, because our symptoms can be better or worse, we often just put it down to environmental things. We think, oh, that was because, you know, such that was happening that week oh, oh that was because something's in something was in the news that week 
But actually, that is just what happens when our hormones swing in the perimenopause. And, and joining up those dots can be incredibly challenging, particularly without the awareness. So like you say, the key is self-awareness in the first instance and having your radar out for when things are changing or things are getting worse. And what can be very useful, Kate, is having a symptom tracker and having a symptom checklist. And on our website at menopausecare.co.uk, we have a symptom checklist for the perimenopause and menopause, which you can download or print off. And you can have a look at the symptoms set and keep an eye on them. Maybe redo the symptoms every week, every couple of weeks and see what's happening with them. And then if you're going to go and see your doctor, go in with that symptom checker and say, look, these are my list of symptoms. They fit with the perimenopause and start the conversation there. Because the difficulty, because perimenopause and ADHD have a spectrum and a, a diverse group of symptoms, joining the dots to make it make the diagnosis can be difficult for doctors who aren't haven't got the awareness there. We often, as medical practitioners, we live in our own little silos of specialities. Oh, that's a heart problem. Oh, that's a mental health problem. Oh, um, that's a joint problem. And that needs to go to rheumatology referral. They need a cardiology um, assessment. But actually, in the perimenopause, it's realising there's a lot of things under the umbrella. Mm. And actually, the underlying cause is the hormonal changes that if we can address and even out again, all of the symptoms will improve. The biggest tip I'd say for women is to do the symptom checker. So you've got that objective measurement of your symptoms and a record and take that into your doctor. If you can see a doctor with a specialist interest in women's health, ideally somebody who's got some interest in the menopause, Find that out before you go to your GP and then take your symptom checker in and say, look, these are my symptoms. This seems to me fit fits with the perimenopause. I'd quite like to consider a trial with, uh, with some HRT. And that's a good starting block because when you've only got those seven minutes, you need to use your time, that precious time, the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're saying really is advocate for yourself. Because yeah. if we, I mean, I say this a lot when women are just realising that it has been ADHD all their life, they're connecting all the dots. And finally, you know, whether they've listened to a podcast or read an article, they go, you know what, I think this is ADHD. But then they're terrified that the doctor's not going to understand, they're going to dismiss them. So I say go in there and do your research before. And, you know, similar to you, symptom checker, yeah. go in there. If you know you've only got seven minutes, you need to go in there, advocate for yourself, write that list down so you feel empowered. For, and it feels awful because the doctor is there to help us. You know, and I'm not saying that the doctor's there to catch us out or to, you know, dismiss us. But it can feel a little bit like we're being challenged if, the doctor's only got seven minutes and really just needs to get to the down to the nitty gritty of the issue. And sometimes it can feel a bit like you're being, you've got to be on guard a little bit. So what you're saying is the same. It's like, just go in there and advocate yourself and, and present what you need and ask. I think, you know, what you're doing is amazing. The awareness that you're creating. And I've been reading lots about what Dr. Louise Newson's doing and her campaign. And I think that the more we can, educate ourselves and create awareness we can get that care that we deserve 
it just takes a bit of time on our end to find that right specialist and, you know, the expertise. Hello. So I would just love to say a big thank you to all of you for reaching out recently with your really heartfelt messages and emails and reviews of the show. It's really blown my mind what's happened during the past two months since launching the podcast. And this has included helping me get onto the new and noteworthy section on Apple Podcasts and in the health and fitness charts as well. And what I'm actually hearing from so many of you is how needed this content is and how these conversations have been helping you so much to understand yourselves after all these years. And I really do get it. And if that is the case, I've got something you are going to find really helpful. I've created a free guide to support you before and during your diagnosis and beyond. So if you are waiting for an assessment or waiting for this diagnosis and just don't know where to begin and need some help sort of practical and emotionally I want to be able to give you this guidance so I've created a brilliant resource for anyone needing more help navigating the complex area of a new ADHD diagnosis and in the guide I've given you lots of tips including books to read and other podcasts to listen to so just head to my website which is coachingbykate.me.uk and you'll find it all there on the home page or just head to the show notes and I will put a link to it And please don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast because every single week I'm trying to get you the most topical conversations with some brilliant guests offering you lots of information about your new understanding on ADHD. So thank you again for joining me and let's get back to this week's conversation. Just before we sort of close, I wanted to ask one last question about testosterone because that's not something that we often hear. I hear about estrogen a lot. And typically testosterone, you know, we hear it's like a male hormone. But can testosterone be of any help to ADHD? And I guess, what does it bring to to us during our menopause and maybe with our ADHD as well? So testosterone, you rightly say, is associated as a male hormone, but it's very much a female hormone. We produce actually three times more testosterone than estrogen before the menopause. We produce about 50% of our testosterone is from our ovaries and about 50% is from our adrenal glands, which sit just above our kidneys. So as our ovaries start to wind down in the perimenopause and menopause, our testosterone production tends to go down as well. It's different for each individual woman in terms of the rate of decline. And it's also different for each person with regards to the symptoms that that might produce. Because some Mm. women were probably running on slightly higher testosterone levels throughout their life and others on lower. And it didn't cause a problem from them. So this is very, very individualized. So what we would normally do is if a woman has got perimenopause, menopause symptoms, we would get them on estrogen replacements first. That's the usual first step. Because there's a crossover again with symptoms of low testosterone and low estrogen. So the cognitive difficulties which we also has a crossover ADHD has a secondary crossover with low estrogen and another possible crossover with testosterone so what we would do is get the estrogen levels at a good level and then see where that woman is at in terms of her symptoms okay if estrogen levels aren't useful before starting HRT generally if you're over the age of uh, 40 or 45 estrogen levels aren't terribly helpful in terms of a diagnosis 
but they are helpful once you're on treatment to make sure you're absorbing it well because the gold standard estrogen is through the skin as a patch of gel or a spray and then we can monitor that so if we're monitoring that those levels in the blood and we're speaking to a woman about her symptoms and she's saying well actually my hot flushes have gone away i'm sleeping better but actually my libido is still in my boots my energy is still poor my cognitive function is still not great. I still get my word finding difficulties. Um, I'm actually my mood isn't great still. You know, it's a bit, it's better, but my joy of things still isn't there. My muscle recovery isn't there. I'm going to the gym, I'm doing workouts, actually I'm doing more, but actually my muscles aren't recovering. My tone is going despite this. These are potential testosterone symptoms. So we would usually check a level before starting testosterone and then we give what we call a trial of testosterone replacement for women because not everybody benefits from testosterone replacement some women do some women don't some women don't need it for some women the estrogen alone addresses the symptoms but if those symptoms are still there to be addressed a testosterone trial is worth a consideration because it's a terribly safe hormone it's very easy to use in terms of side effect profile, as long as you're being prescribed it by somebody who understands about testosterone replacement for women, dosage and monitoring, the chances of adverse side effects are incredibly low. So there is a, that sort of triangle, ADHD, estrogen, testosterone, and all the cognitive and mood symptoms. There's definitely connection between them. We don't understand enough about ADHD and testosterone. Definitely not. We need more, you know, more data, more investment in research. I'd love to know more about that because it is very much, we just hear about dopamine and estrogen mostly. You know, the, what you're talking about with testosterone is fascinating because there must be an impact there somewhere. But the whole thing is fascinating. And I, I hope that from, you know, this conversation that we've had, people have got a little bit more insight or just a, a bit of a nudge to go and explore further. I'm going to be talking from a UK perspective here for the UK audience. Where do people start? You know, this they're listening to this conversation, they're early 40s, they're thinking, you know what, I could do with learning more. Where do people make an appointment with their GP? What or can they come straight go privately go to someone like you? What are the next steps after this conversation? So, like we mentioned before, do a symptom tracker and record your symptoms to start with. So there's several options. You can see your GP. Now, as a GP, what I'll just say as a caveat is you're not really <laughs> crazily educated in menopause to any great extent. So unless you see a GP who's got a specialist interest, they don't get much training on the menopause, which is diabolically crazy because it affects half the population. It's, cra it's crazy. I can't even get my head around it. It's a historical issue of women's health being on the back burner, Kate. You know, I'm afraid. It's the patriarchy, I'm afraid. So it's never been given as a priority to GP training. But some GPs might have had some additional training that they've taken upon themselves to do. Um, so if you've got a GP like that, then that's great. If not, you can get referred to a specialist menopause clinic on the NHS, but they are few and far between within the UK. There's like a handful throughout the whole of UK. So the problem with that is that the waiting list is many months. 
which is very troublesome for women who, once the penny drops for women, as you can imagine, they want the answers, they want to start dealing with the problem and they want the solution. They don't want to wait for six months. Understandably, they want to get on with their lives. But there are referrals possible to a specialist menopause clinic within the NHS. Otherwise, there's, a, there's private. So I work privately, as you know, with menopause care. And what I would often do is see women. And my I feel my job is to, get, we have the time as well. So we have plenty of time to not make it bespoke and tailor-made, but also to empower and educate that woman about hormones, about ADHD and the connection, about their options. And the time to explore that and educate somebody about their health in that way is so, I hope, very meaningful. And they will always have that with them. So, And then whatever practitioner they see, they're going to know about themselves, possibly often more than that, that medical practitioner. And they can carry with that, that with them for the rest of their life. And that's what the time gives, the ability to impart that information to an individual that they can then have and use ongoingly but often what will happen is we we get somebody on a balanced regime with HRT it can take time it's not a one-size-fits-all with HRT particularly with ADHD it does make it potentially a more complex uh, management plan mm. it might take a bit more time there's often tweaking of doses needed along the way but once we've got that woman on a steady path some women will be popped back into the NHS for that for a period of time because they've got their plan. It's it's all ready, and nearly all HRT is available on the NHS. So we often will pop people back in the NHS to get their prescriptions ongoingly, and then generally we just suggest an annual review of your HRT to make sure you're on an optimum regime for you because it does change as we grow older. And as our hormones change, particularly in the perimenopause, and things like our background health issues might change as well. And we know ADHD can change as well. So it's, it's good to have at least an annual review. But I don't want women to feel that if they came and saw me privately, you're stuck with you know, you know massive outgoings. It's not that isn't the case. I mean, someone will choose to stay within the private system, but I don't want them to feel that they'd be stuck. It's sometimes it's just that initial part, and then we can pop you back to your GP for ongoing prescription, repeat prescriptions and things like that. Um, so that's how it works. And we always communicate with the GP and send letters to them to keep them informed if that patient wants them to. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. The only caveat, Kate, is testosterone because we've got testosterone that is available on the NHS, but it's only a male formulation. It's mm. not made for women. We have a female formulation that which we can import from Australia and it is made and dosed for women, but it's only available privately, which is incredibly unfair. We're kind of stuck in this situation at the moment. Women can use the male formulations, which are available on the NHS, but in terms of testosterone prescribing, it is more much more unusual to find a GP who has been trained in that for women. So that's the sticking point. So I have some women coming to me who've got steady on their HRT, but they want to come to me for a special advice with testosterone replacement because it can be that last missing piece of the puzzle. And that's for some women, it can be such a game changer. It can be completely life changing. So 
yeah, there's different ways of, of doing things. But I think some of them don't even realise there's private specialist, menopause specialists out there that they can go to. Um, so it's worth being aware of all your options. I think what you've explained so beautifully is that, that we have options. And from a financial perspective, yes, there is this investment. But and again, I don't I'm speaking generally here that a lot of women who have had their ADHD diagnoses, they have had to go privately because they can't wait. They don't want to wait, you know, the two or three years that they've been told, you know, wherever they live that they've got to wait for in the NHS. So they have found that money but, and, and it's probably been the best money that they've ever spent because they've got answers and awareness and an understanding about themselves that they've been waiting for all their lives. And I think, you know, menopause comes under a similar bracket mm-hmm. because I don't think you can literally put a price on feeling well, feeling happy and joyful and energised and on purpose and all the things that in life is all about. So to know that there's an option to go privately but then to know that it doesn't have to stay private that you can give them that specialized care and then it's almost you you're relieving the gps in nhs gps of huge amounts of work and then sort of giving them all the answers and just saying just kind of keep a steady eye but i think it's important that we do get these assessments once a year anyway sort of from an adhd mm-hmm. perspective and menopause mm-hmm. Because as you know, things change, our environments change, our health changes. So to know that we can get that support, you know, once a year for a check-in, I think it's so important. Yeah, as women, we are juggling. We prop up everybody else, don't we? We look after everybody else. We tend to put everybody else's well-being before ours. But actually, it's that oxygen mask analogy. We need to look after ourselves first in order to give our best to other people. And I think as women, we're not even, sometimes we're just not really aware that that should be a priority. But it really, I really think it should be. Yeah, absolutely. So Emma, tell people how they can find you, what, you know, how they can work with you. And and I guess that the doctors that you work with as well, if there's different sort of specialists in that area. Yeah. So I'm with Menopause Care. We're a group of all female doctors with a specialist interest in menopause. We all have slightly different specialties, but we all do general menopause care. And you can book an appointment with any of us online. And we see everybody at the moment through video consultation, which works really well because we can access women throughout the UK. They can talk to us from the comfort of their own home. Um, We use a special video connection, which isn't Zoom. It's a special secure video connection. And it has worked incredibly well. And the website, menopausecare.co.uk, has got information on there about the perimenopause and menopause. It's got the symptom checker on there. And I've done quite a few educational videos, Kate, on my Instagram page, which is menopausehealthdoctor. A doctor is um, D-O-C-T-O-R. And there's a lot of little videos I've done about various aspects of the perimenopause, menopause, uh, lifestyle and HRT. Just little snippets that I hope help women navigate this period of their lives. Fantastic. I've seen those videos and they are brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Such great resources. So I'll make sure that I put all of that information in the show notes so people can find you easily and get in touch. Dr. Emma Pink, thank you so much for for joining me today. I've really, this has been a a really educational um, conversation for me and I know it will be for, for many others. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Kate. It was lovely to chat today. So that's today's episode done. 
did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time. Mood regulation, emotional well-being and brain health are always at the top of my priority list. So taking daily measures such as movement, breath work, tapping, drinking water and eating nourishing food has a huge impact on my personal emotional regulation. And yet sometimes we do need supplements to help us feel at our optimum. So as a health coach, a well-being coach and understanding ADHD a lot more, I know how important a blend of essential fatty acids such as omega-3s and 6s can be. And for that reason, I take Equizin capsules every day. Now, Equizin are fatty acid specialists with a range of products to support brain function. And backed by clinical studies, Equizin supplements are a precise blend of omega-3, which contributes to the maintenance of normal brain function and are made from fish oil and omega-6 from primrose oil. Equizin's range of supplements, which are suitable for all members of the family from adults to children, contain a balanced formula to really help get the natural benefits of fish oils without the fishy taste. So, to get discounted Equizin products for all the family, head to boots.com, that's boots.com, and enter the discount code KATE15. So, that's KATE15 to get 15% off all Equizin supplements. And for more information about Equizin and all their products, head to the website equizin.co.uk, that's equizin.co.uk, and learn how you can be supported more on your ADHD journey.